Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to The Dark Parts, a show where we explore the darkest parts of history, the world, and your mind. I'm your host, Heath, and with me today, as always, is the lovely Queen of Scream, Daphne. Daphne, how you doing? I am fantastic. I'm excited. Tomorrow is my birthday. We're going to the Magic Castle. That'll be spooky fun. Very spooky. Yeah, you're coming with me. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. <laughs> I can't wait. We have a lot of spooky stuff coming in October, so we'll, we'll let you guys know what we're up to here in L.A. There's so much fun. There really is a lot of spooky, cool things that happen in L.A. Especially since we don't get fall weather. Like, they need to give us something, you know? Exactly. But tell me what you know about Colorado. Me? Yeah, just in general. <laughs> like, what comes to mind when you think of Colorado? Um, our trip, actually, last year for my birthday, <laughs> um, yeah. we went to the Stanley Hotel. Yes, we did. And it was uh, quite a spooky time. We did a ghost tour, uh, smoked a joint on the ghost tour. It was awesome. Well, let's get into today's episode. Colorado, the first state to legalize weed, and also the state that trademarked the term cheeseburger. No way. Yeah. Kind of weird considering it's known as the healthiest state in the U.S. It's also the place where a few small-town teenagers defeated an army of commie Russian bastards in the 1980s, led by Patrick Swayze. If you know, then you know. But as much beauty as this state holds with its picturesque Rocky Mountains and over 23 million acres of forest that makes up a third of the state's landmass, it's also home to many spooky and unexplained hauntings including the infamous Stanley Hotel, which we just mentioned, which was Stephen King's inspiration for the classic horror film, The Shining, and Manitou Springs' annual festival, the Emma Crawford Coffin Races, where locals race coffins on wheels down a hill for fun. But among the borders of the Centennial State is a particular forest that's known as one of the most haunted forests in the U.S., So let's take a trip to the place where beer flows like wine and where beautiful women instinctively flock like the salmon of Capistrano. I'm talking about a little place called Colorado. In today's episode, we call the Haunted Black Forest of Colorado. This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Now, before we get into today's story, we mentioned in the intro, or Heath did, a festival called the Emma Crawford Coffin Races and Festival. And since that celebration takes place near where our story for this episode does, we wanted to briefly mention it for all you creeps who love spooky gatherings because it is truly unique. Emma Crawford moved to Manitou Springs, Colorado with her mother in 1889 from Massachusetts and from an early age was a gifted pianist. But sadly, she spent most of her life battling tuberculosis and the move to Colorado was meant to cure her as she had been told that the mountain air would be good for her lungs and luckily it seemed to work, at least for a time. But in 1891, her health began to take a turn for the worse and sadly started to decline. 
So one day, Emma climbed to the top of a local mountain called Red Mountain and tied her red scarf to a tree, telling those who loved her that this would be the spot she wanted to be buried. She had a fear of cemeteries and anything gloomy, so it only made sense that she be laid to rest on a high mountain peak with lots of sunlight. Then, on December 4th, 1891, so later that year, Emma Crawford sadly passed away from her illness, but the local townspeople, including her fiancé, respected her last wishes to be buried on the very top of Red Mountain, some 7,000 feet above. But 40 years later, in 1929, after a nasty wind and rainstorm, Emma's once shining silver coffin came sledding down the wet, muddy hill all the way to the bottom where it was discovered by two young boys. The town had come to find out that Emma's coffin hadn't been buried deep enough, so in order to make amends for this mistake, the town of Manitou Springs holds an annual festival. Yeah, so they felt really bad that they fucked up on this burial. and Even though this was like 40 years earlier. Yeah. So it's not really their fault. It's not really their fault, but yeah, the sentiment is kind of nice. So starting in 1995 and held ever since, teams of locals dress up as Emma Crawford and are towed in a rolling coffin 195 yards by what are known as mourners down the street. The fastest team to finish earns the prized Coffin Cup, and this event is held every year on the weekend before Halloween, so obviously very, very fun. But they also have to compete with another festival in Colorado, Netherlands Frozen Dead Guy Days, which is in celebration of a man who was cryogenically frozen by his Norwegian grandson and then transported to Colorado in the 1990s. This festival's events include, of course, coffin races, frozen dead guy lookalike contests, a polar plunge, and a brain freeze contest. But unlike Emma's festival, Frozen Dead Guy Day Fest takes place in March. So I guess it's safe to say that Colorado really puts the fun in funeral. So now that you know how fucking weird Colorado can be, let's get into today's topic. The highly unusual and terrifying Black Forest of Colorado. The Black Forest, known as the Pineries due to its ponderosa pine trees, is an unincorporated area in El Paso County, Colorado, that sits just north of Colorado Springs and encompasses a 1,000-square-mile area. It was first home to the Ute and Comanche Native tribes and in the 1800s was populated by the Kiowa people. But then years later, the Arapaho and Cheyenne tribes joined forces to defeat the Kiowas and were known to be the last native people to inhabit that particular land. In the 1850s, the Black Forest became the hub for lumber, and it's said that over one billion board feet of lumber had been removed from the pineries to create many railroad ties, including Kansas Pacific, Denver, Rio Grande, and even New Orleans railroads. Today, there's about 15,000 people that live within the Black Forest. And in 2006, the residents of the area voted against incorporating the area to become a recognized city. And to give you a better idea of the area, the Black Forest is located about an hour south of Denver and just 16 miles west of the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. So it is fairly close to the metropolitan area of Colorado Springs, but is considered 
pretty rural. And we will post photos so you guys can see exactly the type of landscape that we're talking about here. One story in particular has made this seemingly ordinary forest a hotbed for paranormal activity, and it started in 1991. A young father, husband, and truck driver by the name of Steve Lee moved he and his family from Louisiana to the woods of Black Forest, Colorado. Steve and his wife Beth had finally found their absolute dream home, a 6,000 square foot, three-story log cabin home on Swan Road that sat on five acres of land, and they moved into this home with their two young sons. Now, a little detail about the house that the original owner failed to mention was that the property hosted some unwanted visitors. But I suppose telling the people that you're selling the home to that the place is haunted by ghosts is probably not a key selling point. It's also worth mentioning that he didn't tell anyone because he feared that nobody would believe him. So the first week that the Lees moved appeared to be normal, but soon everything would change. Here's what Beth later recalled about their experience with the hauntings. Quote, One day we came home and it was like the 4th of July in our living room and bedroom. We had all kinds of lights flashing through and it sounded like people stomping across the roof. We would lay in bed at night and hear chains rattling. One night we woke up and heard orchestra music. Strange things started happening every day. But this was only the beginning and soon enough more unsettling things began to shake the family to their core. The young Lee boys were haunted almost every night by shadows that roamed through their bedroom and lights that suddenly appeared out of nowhere. Appliances began to turn on and off on their own, but worst of all was an extremely pungent chemical smell that would often fill the home at night and would burn the family's eyes, noses, and throats. It seemed that whatever was in that house in the woods was not happy about the Lee family moving in. Steve, who claimed to be a skeptic of the paranormal, soon couldn't take the amount of torture that he and his family were experiencing daily. So finally, at his wit's end, he decided that he needed to do something about the strange occurrences. He invested in camera equipment that over the years totaled more than $70,000. I don't know what kind of cameras this guy was buying, but yeah, that's, that's a lot for cameras. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's 1991, so it's kind of early in the surveillance video days. Not like today when you can buy like a $70 doorbell ring camera on Amazon. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I could, I could see how he could spend that much. But like that still would be a lot of equipment. And that's a lot to spend, you know, for I mean, that, that just kind of goes to show you how freaked out they were that they wanted to try to capture this. Right. And that's why they bought all of this equipment so they could try and capture something on film. These were mostly like motion detection cameras, but after installing them, Steve noticed that they would be triggered and start recording when nothing and no one was around. When nothing could positively be explained, he sought help from the local authorities. In fact, the El Paso County police were called to the Lee's house so often that they eventually launched an investigation into these disturbances in 1993. In total, the alarms were triggered 62 times in three years, but not a single event could be explained. I mean, could you imagine, though, living there for three years, 
with 62 triggered alarms and all this stuff going on and you're just staying yeah, there? Yeah, they're like, oh, all right, after 50, uh, I, I bet it's going to stop after 50. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that not everybody can afford to move or maybe they couldn't sell the house, but I mean, oh my God, come on, let's get out of there. Yeah, I don't think I could stick around for that. So that's when Steve and Beth decided to take things to another level and they hired a private investigator. Also, because police were getting sick and tired of responding to nothing, between the private investigator and all this camera equipment, the Lees had just about spent their entire life savings. And you may be wondering, well, if this place is super haunted, why not leave and find a new place? But the simple answer was that the Lees truly didn't want to give up their dream home because a few ghosts are trying to fuck with them. I just, I, I can't agree with that. I just disagree. I just, you know, that, it seems like that is a big reason to leave. I'd rather live in a less desirable home with no ghosts than a dream house with a shit ton of ghosts. Yeah, I mean, it's like disrupting your everyday life. Yeah, so like, like the, your quality of life is going down. So, correct, you know, yeah. this, this doesn't balance out. So the next step was... Even though, like we mentioned, Steve was a total skeptic and felt like there had to be a reasonable and worldly explanation for the incidents, was to seek the help of paranormal experts. So in 1995, four years after moving in, the Lees reached out to a television show aimed at exploring inexplicable phenomenons called sightings. The show then sought the help of a Minneapolis-based psychic investigator by the name of Echo Bodine. Cool name. Yeah, that's definitely a badass name. And I wanted to read a chapter from her book titled The Little Book of True Ghost Stories, although I did shorten it a bit to kind of save time. So here we go. Quote, I got a call from the TV show Sightings wanting to know if I would fly to Colorado Springs and identify some ghosts for a, se a segment Sorry, they were doing on hauntings. The producers told me that the only problem was that these ghosts only came out at night and they wondered if I wouldn't mind working from midnight to morning. It was a very hot day in mid-July and I arrived in Denver around 10.30 p.m. It was pretty eerie, lightning all throughout the sky, rain pouring down. I remember thinking how perfect the weather was for filming a spooky segment for television. And by the way, the names were changed here, probably for legality, so carrying on now. Scott, the owner of the log cabin, was at the airport to pick me up. So yeah, again, she means Steve. He was very open about not believing in ghosts. As we drove through several towns in Colorado, I listened to him tell me story after story about some of the things that went on in his house. At times, they heard voices, other times, footsteps. Things would move from room to room. It took close to an hour to get to their house up in the mountains. And then she continues, quote, A fog hung about 10 feet above the ground. There were no streetlights or stars to light the pitch black sky. When I entered the three-story log cabin, I was quickly greeted by the producer, who asked if I would mind having a seat while the scientist they hired told us about his thermocam. It was a very expensive camera that was used to measure the intensity of heat in the room. The theory was that the camera could pick up ghost activity because ghosts are cold and would register on the camera. It was close to midnight and I was starting to get a little tired. No sooner had I sat down when I heard a voice behind me say, Hey, hey, over here. 
I turned around, and to my right, there was a male ghost. He seemed about six feet tall and was wearing blue jeans and a blue checkered flannel shirt. I sent a thought back to him to please be quiet because I wanted to hear what the scientist had to say. Well, he didn't care. He just kept saying, hey, hey, look over here. Then I heard it in unison. I turned around again, and now there were five male spirits, all dressed the same as the first. Continued, quote, The original ghost said his name was Tom and told me that this was his house and that no one was going to make him go to the other side. He ran the show around here and had for a long time. I told the producer what was happening just in case he wanted to get our dialogue on tape, which he did. The producer set me up with a microphone and the conversation began. Tom told us why he and the boys felt they deserved to stay in the house. This was his land, his home, and he was not willing to leave it. The cameraman asked me if these guys were responsible for knocking his very expensive equipment off the countertop. All five ghosts answered with a resounding yes, and then disappeared out of sight. Meanwhile, the scientists did record on film the drop in temperature in exactly the spot where Tom had stood. The producer asked Bev, who is Beth, who's Steve's wife, if she would show me some of the photographs of the ghosts that they had taken over the years, and he was curious to see my reaction. We sat at the kitchen table and just started looking through the photo albums when the dogs outside started barking around 1 or 2 in the morning, and they would not stop. In order to pick up sound on the mics, the crew needed to quiet the dogs down. So the producer went outside to see what was wrong, and when he opened the door, a huge 10-foot white mass of energy came into the house. Bev asked me if it looked anything like this photo they had taken with their surveillance camera, and she showed me the photo, and yes, it was exactly the same. Suddenly, the energy around Bev and me had changed. Now there were three different male spirits standing right by us. One had a particularly mean scowl on his face. He started touching us and then walked through us, at which point Bev and I jumped about three feet off the ground. His energy was so cold. He came right up to my face and tried to take my breath away, which ghosts will do sometimes in order to become bigger and more powerful. It's a very suffocating feeling, like you can't get enough air. The good news was that I could see the abusive spirit, so I told him to back off and leave us alone. Earlier, Scott told me that he had to take time off of work because he had come down with chronic fatigue syndrome. I'm certain that this spirit was responsible, sucking the energy out of him daily. He seemed like such a loser, a leech. The ghost did leave the house, but I suspect that he came back the next day after we all left. By this time, it was almost 3.30 a.m. We were all getting pretty tired, so Bev brought out a bunch of food that she had prepared. We decided to lighten up a bit and not talk about ghosts for a while, so we shut off the cameras and mics and took a break. But just as we did... One of Bev's friends, who was sitting at the top of the basement stairs, started hyperventilating, shaking, and crying. She kept saying, 
Get it out of me. Get it out of me. It completely took everyone by surprise. I mean, this seems pretty scary. Like, all of a sudden at 3.30 in the morning, like, your friend just starts freaking the fuck out. Yeah, and you're trying to, like, take a break here, and it is, it's not stopping. No. Bev was trying to calm her down, and the producer was hollering at me to do something. The guides were telling me to get her to a chair in the kitchen area, because that was where the energy was positive and clear. The room where we were all laughing and not talking about ghost stories. They said to burn some sage and cover her in smoke. I put my hand on her back and instructed her to say several times, I am clear. I am clear. Bev's friend was convinced that there was a spirit inside her. We had someone drive her home, but we didn't hear from her after she left, so I assumed she was okay. By then, it was close to 4.30 a.m. We were sitting and waiting for the crew to set up their equipment in Scott and Bev's bedroom, where most of the ghost activity seemed to be. A friend of Scott's came over and handed me a visitor's brochure about the area. He said it talked about the original settlers and a guy named Tom, who had been the sheriff back in the 1800s. I felt shivers up my spine as I realized that this was the same Tom I had met several hours earlier. One more room and we were done. We were all exhausted. We walked into Scott and Bev's bedroom and there sitting in a rocking chair in the corner was Bev's deceased grandmother. Over to the right of the chair near the closet sat Tom and his four buddies. There on Scott and Bev's bed lay two male ghosts and there was another one standing in the corner. No wonder why they felt so much activity in their bedroom. They told me that they had a hard time sleeping in there. No kidding. This was where all the ghosts congregated. I went around to each ghost and asked it what it was doing there. Some of them wouldn't talk to me. Tom and his friends moved in and out of the room, but Grandma just liked being there. We burned some sage and told them all to clear out. They left the building, but I don't believe that they went on to the other side. I didn't do an official ghost busting on each ghost because the producer only wanted me to identify them. At about 6 a.m., we finished saging the house and packed up our equipment and headed back to our hotel. I've spoken with Scott and Bev since, and they say activity in the cabin has continued. In case you're wondering if Scott ever became a believer, He said he's going to remain on the skeptic side until he has more proof. How much more proof do you need, man? I really don't know. Like, how much more do you, like, how much more chain rattling and, you know, dead grandmas in the corner do you really need? I I mean, I, I understand being skeptical of psychics or people claiming to see spirits, especially when you're doing it for, like, a show. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of it could have been faked. You know, I understand that. But I, I also feel like if he's the one that reached out, you know, he's the one who's experiencing all this, so he knows what's been going on, and uh, I guess they're still there. I don't yeah. know if they're still there to this day, but, you know, yeah, I, I, they remained I after this. Right, yeah, I don't actually know. So after that session, the show Sightings did a follow-up episode and brought in a tribal spiritual leader named Ina McClelland, who is well-respected in the Native community, and she felt his spiritual presence in the dining area of the home, among other places. 
They also brought in a man named Gary Hart, who specializes in hyperdimensional studies, and he believes that the Lee's home may be a portal or space-time warp. A shaman for the Hopi tribe told authorities and residents of Black Forest that the property was located on something called a rainbow vortex. And we found this description from a site where users can share their paranormal experiences with others. And this was posted in April of 2019. It says, quote, Hey y'all, sorry I didn't post anything yesterday. Anyway, today we had testing, so I read a lot and my book was about haunted places and such. And it said something about a rainbow vortex. Now, I knew what a vortex was, but not a rainbow one, so I looked it up. A rainbow vortex is basically a tornado of spiritual energy. Sometimes they burn out, other times they don't. There aren't many that don't burn out. In my book, it said there are two or three, I can't remember, and one of them is in Black Forest, Colorado, USA. And just for reference, it's believed that there are only three of these in existence. One is in Arizona, one is in London, England, and one, and you guessed it, Colorado. And it's known as a gateway between the living and the spirit world. <laughs> This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. During the second session of filming for sightings, a paranormal investigator mentioned the name Howard and asked if it meant anything. Steve and Beth were shocked because they happened to have a very close friend in Black Forest named Howard whose son had committed suicide by taking lethal drugs while working as a chemist. The psychic claimed that Howard's son was there to tell his father that he didn't kill himself, but that he was actually murdered. These experiences caught so much wind in the local news that even State Senator Charles Duke opted to see what all the fuss was about. So this senator actually made an appearance at the Lee's home, bringing along his own camera for photographic evidence, and he actually snapped a few photos of apparitions himself that made him shake his head in disbelief. He was so convinced about the Lee's haunting that Senator Duke even contacted the FBI to conduct a formal investigation, but they declined stating that no federal laws had been broken. But as much evidence as there seems to be, Steve Lee feels that there's another explanation for these incidents. Steve believes that the government may be using his family to test biological and psychological weapons of war. 
He even says that he's photographed military personnel on his property with firearms and claims they may be shutting off the electricity in his home so that they can enter his home undetected. So we've either got like a military operation that just seems incredibly far-fetched or we have some, <laughs> some ghost stories. I don't know. Claims of the use of chemicals sprayed inside his van to make him ill have also been made. And this is interesting considering that the Air Force Base is located just a short drive away from his home. But I mean, could this be true? And no one really is sure what goes on inside the inner mechanics of the military complex. But maybe this is just another way for Steve to dismiss something that he doesn't truly believe or understand. And we found an article posted in 2010 that states the Lees were trying to sell their property and we're not sure if it ever sold. Yeah, I just saw that it was like put up on like or it was put up on a real estate site but I have no idea if they sold it or who lives there now. It only took almost 20 years of living there to try to sell it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, that's a huge property. Like it's a 6,000 square foot log cabin. Three stories. Yeah, three stories. So it's like, I kind of feel like, and also just the fact that it's like way the far out, uh, like way far out in the forest, mm -hmm. like where there's no like city lights and you're like in a huge log cabin. I mean, I could see how you could get pretty spooked at night and start thinking that things are going on. I mean, I don't know. So let's talk about the listing here. It says, quote, remote private estate. The Lees added on, updated, improved, and expanded their original property to now include the, uh, include the main residence, two additional houses, and various outbuildings contained within approximately 20 acres of well-groomed, densely forested property. Here are even two habitable tree houses and numerous clearings suitable for fireside campouts. The Lee Estate is also tranquil, serene, and at the same time, disturbing. They actually included that in the listing. The Lees want to sell their property to a unique buyer who values the extraordinary paranormal, spiritual, and mystical qualities of this location. Free of covenants, the site could be an ideal research training ground for paranormal investigators or a thrill-seeker vacation spot. A ghost camp, if you will. Adding to its infamous reputation as the Black Forest Haunting, there have been three deaths on the property since 2007. Needless to say, the property continues to be paranormally and spiritually active. In addition, the lease will include with the sale supportive materials consisting of acclaimed photographs, videotape, and DVDs pertinent to the property's notoriety, along with the potential of limited future access to the Lees themselves and their experiences while living on the property. Really cashing in on the ghost thing here, Steve. Yeah, I mean, that's wild that they put all that in there because, I mean, obviously, if you Google the address, you're going to find the story of the haunting. So I think they're just trying not to hide it and trying to be open and be like, yep, this is what this house is known for and trying to use it to their advantage. It's kind of like when you go to New Orleans and the hotels outside will say haunted or not haunted. It's like some people want that. Some people want to be spooked. Some people want to try to have that experience. And I'm sure there are buyers out there who want to buy a haunted house. So it's kind of smart to do that if it's real. But yeah, I mean, they basically like rebranded their advertising instead of going, well, I don't think we can sell this house because it's haunted. They're like, 
let's try and sell this house because it is haunted. Exactly. Some paranormal guy is going to go out here and try to buy this as like a paranormal hunting ground. So Right, but we don't know if it was sold. Yeah, I have no idea. Like, I couldn't find any information online that said that it was sold. All I saw was that it was posted um, for sale in 2010. Very interesting. So remember when we talked about the hyperdimensionalist named Gary Hart who explained that the Lee's house may be part of a time warp? Well, before we started this episode, a listener of ours sent in their own experience with the Black Forest and it hid way too close to home not to share. So here is a story brought to you by Mandy. Thank you so much for sharing, Mandy. And actually, because of Mandy, we did this entire episode. Yeah, yeah. And this is a very, very unsettling story. Yeah, and with that, I also just want to say, if anybody else has like something scary that has happened to you or uh, you know of some urban legend or scary story, just email us, thedarkpartspodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so here goes Mandy's story. My boyfriend and I were driving late on a summer night, just smoking some weed and listening to music. We were deep in Black Forest in Colorado. I grew up in the forest and I know the ins and outs pretty well. While we were driving, we decided we wanted to hang out at the Black Forest Regional Park. I know the exact location because I have been there countless times with my family and school friends. I didn't even need to pull it up on our phone maps. While driving to the park, I noticed that it was taking a little longer than usual. My boyfriend even asked if we were headed in the right direction. It's pretty hard to miss the park because on the side of the road, there's a huge sign with the words Black Forest Regional Park written in big, bold letters. Not hard to miss. But somehow, we never saw the sign. Instead, we entered a part of the forest that I have never been before. There were tons of big mansion-sized houses. Most of them were dark with no lights. I told my boyfriend that I was extremely confused because I didn't recognize where we were at. We didn't think much of it though and just decided to drive our way out of the area. While we were casually cruising along, we passed a big house on the right side of the road with patio furniture covered in white blankets or tarps. It really stood out to us, and we made a comment about how it looked like a haunted, abandoned mansion, and laughed it off as we drove past. We came upon a roundabout, and I decided to take a right. While we thought we were headed towards the direction of the park, we snapped our heads to the right because we saw it. The same house, with the furniture covered with the white blankets. But this was no big deal, right? We just thought it circled us back around, which would make sense considering it was night and I probably just didn't realize, but it still caught us off guard. We decided that it would be a good idea to pull out our phones and navigate us to the park with Google Maps, but it wouldn't work. We just had no service whatsoever, which was really weird. So I decided instead to go straight through the roundabout and not turn at all. Ten minutes go by. We're in the middle of talking about what we wanted to do at the park when we suddenly paused. There it was, again, on the same side of the road, the house. The haunted mansion was there staring at us just like the last two times. How is it possible considering we just took a whole different route? At this point, the confusion kind of turned into more of a what the actual fuck kind of moment. There is no way we just came across this same house multiple times. 
We nervously joked with each other that it seemed like we were stuck in a time loop. When I approached the roundabout, I figured all I had to do was turn left. There was no other option because I know I went right and straight the times before, so that had to be the way out. Well, you guessed it, it was not. We sat in silence anticipating. We waited for that house as we drove around that road. And sure enough, there it was. On the right side of the road, standing tall with the whitest ghost-like blankets around, stood the house. We completely lost it. Is this some sort of simulation? Did we somehow die and this was a loop of hell? That's when we finally were able to map out the park. It randomly started working again, even though we tried multiple times. It drove us through the roundabout, and we never once took another turn after that, but we somehow made it to the park. When we went straight before, it brought us around to the house, but this time when we were able to map it out, it took us to our destination, even though we went the exact same way as before. It was just like an episode of The Twilight Zone. Ever since then, we joke about how we somehow broke the Matrix that night, and that's why weird things have been happening ever since. Unexplainable things, too. Almost like we never left. The feeling we would get every time we passed the same house on the same side of the road no matter what way we turned. It was like we were a part of an experiment. Regardless if this was a simulation or just a weird paranormal loop, we will honestly never be the same. This is so crazy because when I first read it, you know, we didn't know anything about Black Forest or, you know, the Lee's story. We didn't know any of that. So I read it and I was like, oh, this is really spooky. And then after looking into it and just reading about how Gary Hart had said that, you know, the Lee's house in this area is part of a time warp and then she has this story, like that's so weird to me. Yeah, and it's not even just believed by like one specific group of people. Like we're also talking about like, um, you know, the Hopi tribal men who said that it could be a rainbow vortex. True, yeah. So it's just like- A lot of different people. Regardless of what you think, something very strange is going on in that forest in Colorado. Could it be connected to the military? Who knows? But it is crazy that all these things are seemingly happening. So strangers, what did we learn today? We learned that the government is definitely experimenting on the citizens of Colorado in order to harvest their butt meat for jet fuel. Ew. Damn Air Force, y'all ain't getting my juicy butt meat. Okay, it's possible that that's not true, but we did learn that some people are stubborn as hell. Clearly Tom and his gang of Paul Bunyan lookalikes don't really like other people in their home. And you'd think after a shaman, paranormal investigator, police, and a freaking senator visit your house for the sole purpose of catching some ghosty things, you'd pack up and get the hell out of there. But not the Lees. And finally we learned that if there's something unsettling and strange about your death in any way, don't be a sad little ghost. Because the state of Colorado will most likely create a festival about it that they celebrate every year. Today's horror tip comes to us from the 1990 film Misery. Having fans can sometimes be great, but don't you dare kill off the main character of your franchise because you may end up having to wear ankle braces for the rest of your life like our boy Paul Sheldon. And that's no lie. 
has absolutely nothing to do with ghosts, but yeah. it was uh, based in Colorado, so that's, that's why I chose it. That's really the only connection. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Dark Parts. Yes, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you're digging the new episode so far, because next week we're going to have another creepy story to tell you guys. Also, please make sure that you subscribe to this show and show your friends, your family, your buddies. Tell them about the dark parts because we would love to get more people listening to the show. Oh, absolutely. Especially with especially with this relaunch, it'll be good to have more people around. So if you do dig it, don't forget to share. And just thank you for showing up. I really wonder what the Lees are doing like like to this day, like in this time. I wonder too. Like, what are they doing? I wonder if they're, if, I wonder if they ever sold that house. Maybe. Oh, and also thank you again so much to Mandy for recommending this whole story and also just telling us your story and for sharing that. And thank you for letting us share it on the show. Absolutely. And if you live in Colorado, go check out those uh, festivals that I was talking about, the Emma Crawford uh, Coffin Race and also Frozen Dead Guy Days. All right, guys. We'll see you next time in the dark parts. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.